0: get too much fellowship, but uh, we sure get a lot of it around here, and uh, we, we welcome you today. Well, Let's uh, open our Bibles to the ninth chapter of Matthew, ninth chapter of Matthew, and I'll begin reading this morning from the ninth the verse, and we'll read down just a few passages here in the, in the book of, of Matthew, just a few passages to help us to focus this morning. You know, one of the things that I love about reading the Gospels, reading the life, the times, the thoughts, the words, the miracles of Jesus, one of the things that, uh, that is impressed upon us is that Jesus looked at this world from a different perspective than his contemporaries. He looked at things differently. I, uh, I, I love to go to the symphony. I love to to hear the musical notes that people that hear tones and harmonies and sounds that all I can do is enjoy. I I like to go through an art museum from time to time. Uh, I like to see the colors and the hues and how a a person that has an eye for that, whether it's uh, somebody that paints or somebody that that uses a, a camera, I love to see things that other people see that sometimes escape my, my sight. I love to see how, how people uh, can, can uh, put words together and they hear, th- they hear tones and thoughts and that there are words that they can put together that I only can, can sit in awe and, and um, almost be envious of. But I can enjoy songwriters and artists and poets and preachers and teachers and authors. Oh, but if we could ever look at this world and see things, see the circumstances and situations, if we could do what Jesus did. You see, Jesus saw these things from his heavenly Father's perspective. He would see things that many people around him would miss. It bothers me to stand and look out across the the inlet, to look out across the mountains, to see the beautiful sunsets and sunrises that take place, to see the beauty of the surroundings that are here, and then see people that are walking around with their heads down about their business, doing their thing. You just want to shout, you want to stop and say, stop and look around and see all that's going on. Well, I have no doubt that Jesus from time to time wanted to shout to those that were around him, will you just stop? Will you just pause for a moment and reflect upon what is going on? You know, God made, uh, made an offer to Solomon. Solomon, one of the richest men, uh, one of the, the most powerful men in the world that the world has ever known. God said to Solomon in prayer, what would you have me to give to you? What, if, you if you had one prayer that you could pray, what would you ask of me and Solomon thought about it and he asked, Lord, give me wisdom. Now, I think that's a noble request. I think that's an honorable request. I think it's a good thing to ask for. But I believe even something more important than wisdom might be to see things as God sees them. And so that's my prayer for you today. That's, that's my desire is that if, if I had any wish in this world, I, I just wish that I could see children I wish that I could see people and circumstances. I wish that I could see my own heart. I wish that I could see as God sees. Well, I think in order for us to be able to see as God sees, one of the things that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to change how we see. This morning, as we read the scriptures, we're going to see how Jesus came upon a man that would have probably been, uh, he would have been the, the least likely to have been chosen. You know, when you choose teams for playground uh, recess activities, you choose teams for sandlot lot baseball or, or for a parking lot football game, a uh, pickup game on the basketball court, usually you look around and you look for the most likely characters, you look for the individuals Uh, that have the most skill, look like they probably can get the job done, and they're the first ones that will be picked. Now, I personally was usually one of the last ones when it came to athletic events. But we're going to see how Jesus came upon a man that the rest of the world would have said, No way. But yet Jesus saw something in this individual's heart, saw potential, saw an opportunity, and said, Come, follow me. Let's read together, beginning with verse 9. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Translation today. You follow along in whatever translation you have. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, look off with your neighbor. Oftentimes I'll have parents and and, uh, church members that will contact me and say, I'm thinking about buying a new study Bible. Do you have any recommendations? And I usually have lots of recommendations, but... One of the things that I usually tell people is that if you're looking for a translation of the Bible, the best translation of the Bible in the world is that one that you will read, that one that you will study, that one that you will apply, and that it won't just be a trophy, it won't just be something that you'll sit on the shelf. And so whatever translation of the Bible you have today, enjoy the nuances, the differences, uh, don't be frustrated when i when i read a word that maybe isn't in your bible just be thankful uh, that uh, that you have the translation that you have recently i saw a, a video clip of people in uh, new guinea that were receiving the entire bible for the very first time it was like a parade it was like a celebration it uh, it was it, there were people that were weeping as they unloaded the 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 Old and New Testaments from the airplanes and began to pass them out to those families. Oh, we have the word. Let's read it today. Beginning with verse 9 of chapter 9 of the book of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why is your teacher eating with these tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy, who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I do not come to call the righteous but sinners. Heavenly Father, as we read this passage today, help us to, to get uh, the message, help us to get what it's about, what it is that you're trying to say. But Heavenly Father, more than just the knowledge, the facts, may we truly be impacted and touched by how you saw a man, and you called out to that man, you chose that man, and you said, come follow me, and the man got up and followed you. Father, as we bow before you today, we ask, help us to see as you see. Help us to not only see the things in this world, but help us to do that which you've told us to do. Help us to think the way you think. Help us to speak the way you've taught us to speak. Help us to act. Anything other than that, Father, you tell us is sin. And that we confess to you. That we, we come and humbly repent and ask your forgiveness. Lord, we pray that if you call us to step up, to step out, and to follow you, that we'll have the courage to do whatever, to go wherever, to be whatever it is that you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to bring up a slide of of a a map of the promised land, of, of Galilee, of Palestine it's the it's the holy land many of you have have boarded airplanes some of you have traveled by ship and you had an opportunity to visit there but uh, i just want us to to do that which our kindergarten children do that which news people do that which scientists do I want us to to just stop and consider the context and to ask some very valuable questions. Many of you have, have recently completed the Alaska Bible College's course on introduction to inductive Bible study. And some of you are involved in precepts ministries and precepts Bible studies and BSF and and you know the importance of asking some of those fundamental questions when you when you read or you hear the word of God. Who, what, when, where, why, how, what does this mean to me? Now let me slow down a little bit. Who, who's speaking? Who are the individuals? What's going on in their life? What's happening there? Where is this? Uh, what what what's the context? I'm always amazed when I when I listen to, to Bible critics and when I even watch uh, critics uh, on television. Uh, there's one particular news network uh, that uh, that I've. Uh, Prefer and that I watch quite uh, quite often. Almost some would say religiously, but I watch this particular news channel, and oftentimes they accuse people of taking things out of context. Well, that's what we do. Uh, we take things out of context. We take a pes- passage of scripture. Uh, we will we will we will take it and we'll say, "Look, this is in its its entirety here. Let's let's just look at the, at this particular passage." But I want us to review just a little bit. This is early in the in the ministry of Christ. Uh, of course you know that Jesus was born in that, uh, that small manger down in an uh, area called Jeruz- uh, Bethlehem. It's not really on this map but if you'll see the Dead Sea there that's the, the most prominent uh, part of the, uh, of the map, the Dead Sea. It's connected with the Jordan River that runs up and uh, empties out of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this entire area here uh, plays very important in uh, in what God is doing in the in the redemption of mankind, because you see it was in a small uh, stable in a small village, uh, a, a, a village of little significance called Bethlehem, not too far from Jerusalem, within walking distance of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is located. Oops, Normally Pastor Jeff uh, gets to preach and I push the buttons for him. I wish he was here today to push the buttons for me, but, uh, but he's not here. I honestly thought I could, uh, I could do this. Um, obviously not, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Let's not get hung up on the technology. But uh, anyway, uh, there's Jerusalem down here just off the, of the, uh, the Dead Sea. Uh, just north of there is Jericho, and uh, there's also an area there known as the Wilderness. Jesus was born in Bethlehem uh, and shortly thereafter uh, Herod decided he was uh, going to uh, bring him to to death. That He was going to kill all the uh, uh, boys that were born in uh, Bethlehem under the age of two. And he sent his troops down to Bethlehem. God revealed in a dream uh, to Joseph and Mary that they were to protect Jesus, get him up out of the manger. They went down to Egypt which is down south of, uh, of uh, the Holy Land, the same Egypt that we're hearing about in the news today, uh, the very same Egypt where the Pharaohs lived. It's been around a long time, and uh, God's people had uh, had a lot of contacts with Egypt. Uh, but this particular time, God sent His Son to Egypt where He will be protected. When Jesus came back from Egypt, He was still just a small child, and the Bible tells us that they settled in the, the village of Nazareth which is up in the area known as Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And Nazareth is Jesus' boyhood home. And oftentimes they would travel from there uh, where his father, Joseph, was a carpenter. They would travel from there. And they didn't didn't like to, to intermix with the Samaritans. They were a people, of mixed breed, people of, uh, of, uh, of poor theology. They were looked down upon. And literally when you would travel from Galilee down to Judea and you would travel to Jerusalem... Uh, We know that Jesus was taken there on several occasions. Uh, He was taken there to be dedicated in the temple in Jerusalem. He would go there for the feast. Uh, This was a regular regular pilgrimage that uh, Mary and Joseph and their family would make as they would make their way down to Jerusalem. But they usually would travel very near to the Jordan River and that way they would skirt away from uh, the Samaritan area. And uh, Nazareth was where Jesus grew up, and uh, then the Bible tells us that there came a prophet, the last Old Testament prophet, by the name of John the Baptist. And uh, this was an interesting individual that came forth, and he began, he went out into the, uh, into the wilderness area, I'm sorry, I keep, uh, keep, rather than hitting the, all right, let's back up here to the map. Um, he... Uh, was in this wilderness area right here uh, where people from Jerusalem were actually going out and listening to him preach. He was preaching a, a baptism of repentance. He was telling people to make straight their lives and to make straight the way of the coming of the Messiah, the expected one. And literally he was saying everything that has been said and done in the Old Testament is like a giant road sign that is pointing to this time in history when Jesus comes upon the scene. He is the expected one. He is the one uh, that we have been waiting on. Jesus left his home in Nazareth and went down to where John was baptizing, just north of the Dead Sea there on the Jordan River, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. He was baptizing and there Jesus was baptized. And it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that as Jesus came up out of the water, The Bible says that God spoke with an audible voice and that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And here we have the symbolism of Jesus coming... And submitting to John the Baptist baptism, not because he had to have any of his sins washed away, not because he had any sins to repent of, but simply this was the official beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't just go off to a seminary to study. uh, He didn't go off to to the metropolitan areas. The Bible tells us that he stayed in that wilderness area where Satan himself in the flesh came and tempted him many ways and how Jesus resisted with the word of God and how he resisted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and how he uh, was successful and overcame and was, uh, was victorious over Satan's temptations. So Jesus left there, not going into Jerusalem, not going into the the religious centers of the day, but he went back to his home in Nazareth. And there he, uh, he went into the synagogue, and he opened the scriptures, and Luke says, he read from the scriptures and says that all of the Old Testament that was pointing in the direction, that this is the culmination, this is the fulfillment, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus began to make some assertions Began to make some theological points that the religious leaders of the day felt very uncomfortable with. To the point that they began to, to oppose him. And in, in, in the very time that he was standing in his, in his hometown, in his home synagogue, and he was proclaiming the word of God, there were those that wanted to stone him. And he, and he was just getting his ministry started. The Bible tells us that he slipped away from them and he left uh, Nazareth. And Nazareth, even though it was his home, it was where his family was, his brothers and sisters, his, uh, his, his mother, his father had died by this time. His earthly father, Joseph, was, was not his father. We know that. Uh, God was his heavenly father. But Joseph, uh, or uh, Jesus, left there and he began to set up, set up his uh, uh, base of operation in the city of Capernaum. Uh, up on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible tells us that uh, as he was passing through the area, uh, he was in a preaching tour, and then as he was passing through Galilee, he called his first four disciples. Now these were four fishermen. And uh, they were fishermen that made their living on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he saw Andrew, and he called Andrew. He saw Simon Peter. And he called Simon, and no longer would he call him Simon, but he would be called Peter. And he called James and John, the sons of Zebedee, four first disciples, four first choices, four that Jesus saw them, saw their heart, saw their potential, extended the call to them, and they left their nets, they left their families, they left their livelihood, they left their boats, and they went and they followed him. Now today, the passage that we come upon, Jesus continues to preach and to teach with his four disciples who were fishermen, and he comes upon a man by the name of Levi. Now here in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew prefers his new name. The name Matthew means a gift from God. However, in the book of Mark and in the book of of Luke, uh, he's referred to as Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And so uh, Matthew preferred to refer to himself uh, under his new name because he, uh, he had left behind the old tax collector life. But that's where we find ourselves today. And, uh, and I want us to, to just have in our mind the geographic area. Jesus would spend a lot of time in Capernaum. And uh, he would spend a lot of time ministering there. I, I think one of the things that's interesting... Uh, that uh, there was a Roman centurion there that had a servant that was sick. The servant was at the point of death. And uh, the Roman centurion, one uh, scripture says that he sent some servants uh, to Jesus, and another uh, one of the gospels says that he himself was talking with Jesus. I have no conflict with that. I, I think that he probably did both. But in the book of Luke, it says that uh, some Jewish leaders from the synagogue in Capernaum came to Jesus and said, hey, do what this guy asks, please. He's worthy. Uh, he has built us a tremendous synagogue here in Capernaum. And the synagogue in Capernaum was something to behold. It's no longer there. There are some ruins from uh, synagogues that have been built on that site uh, in the years to come, in the first and the second centuries, but uh, the synagogue that Jesus actually taught in, the synagogue where Jesus attended in Capernaum, where he ministered. You know, it says in, in, um, in Mark and Luke that uh, Jesus had, uh, had been to church. Uh, he'd been to the synagogue. And after they had finished in the synagogue, he went home with Simon Peter. And Simon Peter's mother-in-law was ill. And, uh, and he, uh, he reached out and, um, and ministered to her and healed her. But uh, Capernaum was a very important place uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, we'll find that he stayed there. And then there were also. Uh, there were times that he would go down into Judah. Uh, into J- Judea. And to Jerusalem. And uh, we'll, we'll have an opportunity on another occasion. To, to see his ministry outside of Galilee. But uh, Galilee was an important place in Jesus's ministry. Especially very early on. And Capernaum was especially important. So, who, what, when, where, why, how, what does this mean to me? Let's, let's just uh, think a little bit uh, about uh, the context of this particular passage. Uh, with Jesus, It says that Jesus went on from there and that he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said, Come, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Let's, let's pause for a moment and think about some of the things that are going on. Down in the southern part of, uh, of, the, of Palestine, down in the area, uh, down around Jerusalem, Jericho, this is the area known as Judea. Uh, they were under Roman rule. Uh, I can only study what uh, it was like to be in France uh, during the early days of World War II, as France itself was occupied by the German troops, um, I can I can only uh, I can only imagine what it's like to live in a country uh, where there's a military power that rules over you. I, I guess perhaps, and uh, and I certainly don't mean any offense to our. To our friends and, and church members that are from Great Britain or from Canada, uh, perhaps it was the same kind of thing that our patriotic fathers, the forefathers of our country, felt uh, when there was taxation without representation. They, they wanted their freedom, they wanted their liberty, and uh, they were willing to fight for it. I, I, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but Rome was the, 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 was the power of the world at that time. And uh, they had a Roman uh, procurator. He he was a a governor uh, that actually was there. And there were troops that were stationed there. And all of that was going on in Judea. But back up north in Galilee, uh, in the area around the Sea of Galilee and around Capernaum, uh, there was a puppet king by the name of Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great. Now Herod the Great was the one that tried to kill all the little babies in, in Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us that he died, and, uh, and so now uh, his son, Herod Antipas, uh, had uh, had the backing, he had the authority of the Roman government, and uh, he was ruling uh, in Galilee. Taxes were quite popular, quite, uh, not popular, but certainly common. Uh, poll taxes, uh, land taxes, import and export taxes, and temple taxes were all things that were going on. And, uh, and uh, there were times that, uh, that Jesus uh, took the opportunity, saw the circumstances, and saw an opportunity to teach his, his followers, uh, to, to look at the uh, opportunity to, to give. give. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give unto God what is God. And so uh, Jesus never taught that taxes were wrong. But it's interesting to see what happened uh, as, as taxes um, as, as taxes uh, began to develop in the in the real world. Um, Benjamin Franklin popularized the statement here in our culture that says that uh, nothing is more sure than taxes than, than taxes and death uh, that they're both inevitable. But there were a time, there was a time in the uh, in the history of God's people when they didn't pay taxes. Uh, they were required to give uh, tithes and offerings. I'm going to go ahead and pull this slide up because we're going to be talking this morning about uh, if we're going to see as God sees, we're going to have to look at things a little differently. And we're right now, I, I meant to, to to progress that earlier. We're talking about circumstances. And we're talking about the world in which we live and surroundings and things that are going on around us. But it's interesting that... Uh, that God said, uh, you know, bring a tithe into the storehouse. He says, uh, give an offering. Uh, These were things that were, uh, were given as an act of worship from believers people that had an opportunity to be involved and supportive and to participate in God's ministry, to express their dependence upon God, and to say, uh, uh, God, everything that we have comes from you, and we're just going to give back to you a small portion of that which you've entrusted us, not unlike that which we do here week after week as we pass the offering bags, as we have the box in the back when we say, Thank you, God, for what you have given us. God implemented tithes and offerings, and that has always been a part of the believer's heritage. But it's interesting to note that when uh, God's people decided that uh, they wanted to be like all the other countries, you know, they, they went to Samuel and they said, Hey, look, uh, this thing of judges and your sons, by the way, have not worked out very well. And we don't want judges, just spiritual leaders. We don't want just God's leaders to be a part of our life. We want to be like the Egyptians that have a Pharaoh. We want to be like the, the surrounding countries that have kings. We want a king. And this really upset Samuel. And so Samuel did what uh, I would do. He fell on his knees and said, Lord, what am I going to do with these people that you've given me? And God said, well, I know what you're saying. And they're going to prefer the king over me. But Samuel, listened to them and do what they say. God gave them a choice. And they made a choice. And that choice was to have a king. And so uh, as Samuel went back to the people and he said, let me, let me tell you what we're going to do here. Uh, we're going to have a king and he's going to take your donkeys away from you. Literally, he says that. He's going to take your donkeys, he's going to take your sheep, he's going to take your children He's going to take your money, he's going to take your land, he's going to take everything. It's alright, doesn't matter, we still, we want a king. Okay, just be, be forewarned, this is the way it's going to go. Well sure enough, along came Saul, Saul was the first king. Saul said, hey, let's, let's get this thing organized. And so there were taxes that began to, to be imposed upon people. You had social order and you had government entities and you had things that were no longer an act of obedience and an, act of op- and an opportunity of worshiping and, and saying yes to God. And now suddenly uh, people were being taxed. And so David came along and in his heart he wanted to build a temple and it, you know, it requires a lot of stuff. And so David began to collect the stuff. That they were going to use to build, but yet there were taxes and there were, there were tithes and offerings that were being collected in order to build, uh, to build a place for God to, to dwell. Uh, not just the tabernacle, but in a temple. And then along came Solomon, and uh, boy, uh, not only was he a, a wise man, but he was a wealthy man. And he began to collect a lot of stuff. And it was Solomon that built the great temple uh, that would stand for so many years to represent God's presence. But you see, what happened was that it went from an act of worship to an act of of supporting the government. uh, To an act of supporting the king and his kingdom and his agenda. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that uh, there were even pagan kings, non-believer kings, not just our king but other kings that would threaten us and literally they would be pri- paid a bribe. Literally they would be, they would be given a, uh, an offering that had, that had come from the, from the hearts and from the hands and from the backs of the people in order to appease these foreign governments. So it's interesting that, uh, that taxes were common. Uh, but they were, they were also, uh, they weren't very well accepted and they weren't very well appreciated. Okay, we've talked about Capernaum. Capernaum was an important city. It was an important city because uh, this was where Jesus began his ministry. It was here that he, that he healed the lepers. It was healed here in Capernaum and in the surrounding areas where he delivered those that were demon-possessed. It was here that, uh, that, he, uh, that he would restore the withered hands and that, that he, would, uh, he would restore sight to the blind. It was here that they got a chance to see the miracles, to hear the words, to, to literally underst- to be in the presence of Jesus as he was ushering in his kingdom's work here on earth. But in two short chapters in the book of Matthew and again in the book of Luke, in a very short period of time, Jesus warns and Jesus pronounces a judgment upon Capernaum. He says if the miracles that were performed here, if what you got to see, what you got to experience, if that had happened, if Sodom and Gomorrah had, had experienced that, they would have believed and they would still be in existence today. And Jesus pronounced judgment upon his hometown, his, his adopted city of Capernaum. And he said, on the day of judgment, it's not going to go well for you. You're going to have a challenge finding Capernaum today. It's not listed in the book of Revelation. It's not listed as, as, as the great city, the great, uh, the great crossroads, the great center of, of business and commerce. Uh, it's not listed as it once was. So I'm, I'm just dealing with some circumstances. I'm dealing with the context. I'm dealing with what was going on and, and what was happening. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes across a man by the name of, of Matthew. Scripture doesn't tell us whether he was there to pay a tax. It doesn't tell us whether this was the first time that he ever encountered Matthew. It doesn't tell us much about it. The truth of the matter is, Matthew that we're reading about here is the man that wound up writing the book that we're reading Uh, Barclay and and Wearsby both say as many other commentaries and and many other critics of the Bible say uh, this is the most important piece of literature that has ever been written in the history of mankind certainly to to the cause of Christ. Because you see it was the book of Matthew that bears his name that was written by this man named Levi that was collecting taxes one day uh, when Jesus came by and said come follow me. It was that book that transitioned from the Old Testament to the New Testament that made the connection between the prophecies and the promises that were made to the fulfillment that was fulfilled. In the book of Genesis, the fifth chapter, it says that this is the genealogy. These are the the descendants of Adam and his tribes and his people. God said in the beginning let us make man in our image let's make man after after who we are and 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 what I'm like but then it says after the sin and after the fall of mankind that uh, that Adam began to have children that were after his image the bible tells us that the book of genesis and all of the old testament prophecy declares the sinfulness of man and God's plan to redeem man and to buy him back and to redeem him and to bring him back. And then uh, uh, Matthew had the opportunity of writing the book that would connect the sinfulness of, and the death of, of mankind from the Old Testament to the, to the life that Christ Jesus came and, and came to bring. Matthew is identified as a publican. Literally, the Greek word for it is telonis. Uh, this, this word is an interesting word, telonis. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 it's not just a customs collector. It's not just a tax collector. It's a farmer of taxes is what the word means. A farmer of taxes. Just as a farmer would go out into his fields and would harvest and collect and gather the grain. That's the understanding of, of the tax collector, he is to gather, and he is to collect, and he is to bring in, not unlike a farmer would. A man by the name of Linsky, one of my favorite commentari- uh, commentaries, uh, says that uh, that just like Zacchaeus, who lived in the south, very near to to the temple in Jerusalem, just like Zacchaeus, who was a publican, Linsky says that uh, that. Uh, Levi was also employed by the Romans, and he too was a publican. However, William Barclay, and Barclay and I don't always agree on a lot of things. He's a little bit too liberal for my, for my taste, but uh, Barclay says that it was likely that, King, uh, that, uh, that Levi was employed by King Herod. You see, Herod's family uh, created, built, or rebuilt 12 cities in the area of Galilee. One of the more most famous cities that he built, and it became the center of his government, was Tiberius and Caesarea Philippi. Tiberius was named after the Roman emperor. It was named almost as if the city was an entire monument uh, to his uh, to his greatness as a god. And so here, King Herod, uh, a Jew, was taking uh, tax money and was building these great cities. And so Barclay says he believes that, uh, uh, that Levi was working for the, the king, uh, King Herod uh, Antipas. In Jesus' day, people did not like to pay taxes and things haven't changed. Now, I'm going to make a feeble attempt at a little humor here, and I ask your condolence. If you're, if you're asleep, wake up. This is the best part that uh, some of you have been, been waiting for. My children say, uh, Dad, um, you, just, uh, you just struggle with your timing. Well, uh, you, you just can't pass something up when you're thinking about taxpayers and, and tax collectors. Uh, in Jesus' day, uh, paying taxes wasn't very popular and it's still not very popular today. People who complain about paying their income taxes can be divided into two types of people, men and women. That pretty well gets all of us. All of us complain about having to pay taxes. Uh, you know, you can Google uh, tax jokes, uh, income tax humor. Some of the stuff that comes up is not worth reading. You need to be careful what you do with the internet. I got into some, uh, I got into some uh, uh, accounting. And those of you that are bean counters, you can appreciate the humor uh, that, uh, that would be involved in that. But some of the things they said, certainly, uh, I couldn't share with you today. But uh, what's the difference in an IRS auditor and a Rottweiler the, the Rottweiler will eventually let you go. If a lawyer and an IRS inspector uh, were drowning and you could only save one of them and you had to make a choice, would you choose A, continue watching TV, or B, read newspaper? Oh, come on. At least in the first hour they laughed. <laughs> What's the difference between a terrorist and a tax man? You can negotiate with a terrorist. Okay. A pastor was preparing a sermon on paying taxes, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and he came under conviction before he got up to preach his own sermon. He realized that uh, he probably had cheated on last year's income tax return. So he sat down and he wrote a letter to the IRS and he enclosed a check, and he says, I haven't been able to sleep knowing that I cheated on my income tax last year. I understated my taxable income Therefore, I've enclosed a check for $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) People in Jesus' day hated paying taxes. We still hate paying taxes, but the Lord said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul taught in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, that we are to pay taxes, that we are to pray for our leaders, that we are to be involved in our leaders Peter uh, teaches in 1 Peter chapter 2 that, uh, that we are to pay taxes. And so if, uh, if we're gathering here today, we have to understand the circumstances, the world, the context. And if we're going to see what God sees, we're going to have to look at the real world. We're going to have to look at uh, less than perfect circumstances I, I know how easy it is for us to say, yeah, but that was one of the disciples. Yeah, but that was in Jesus' day. They got a chance. That was Capernaum. They got a chance to see his miracles. Yeah, but that was, that was in a different time and a different age. My friends, if we're going to see as God sees, we're going to have to stop looking at our circumstances. We're going to have to stop looking at the world. And we're going to have to stop relying upon our excuses You see, there may be some experiences that we've had, and some of those experiences may be bad. Horrendous things happen in this world. Perhaps some of those horrendous things have happened to you. We find in the life of Levi, as we find also in the lives of other people, like the the Samaritan woman at the well. Other people, uh, like Mary the, the prostitute that came to Jesus and was delivered of demonic oppression. My friends, we, we can experience and we can understand that there are some ex- explanations for, for how we got where we are. But we cannot rely upon the excuses and say, you have no idea what I've been through. My friends, Jesus looks upon our circumstances and he says, don't be fixated upon the fact that Rome is in charge. Don't, uh, don't go to rest on those kinds of things. Moving along, uh, he says, not only... Uh, if we're going to see as as God sees and we're going to have to take a different look at our circumstances but he also says that we're going to have to look at people differently look at people differently my wife and I and two of our youngest children uh, we left two of our oldest children in college thought they were in good hands and we took our two youngest children and volunteered to be missionaries here I am Lord send me and he did and so uh, Vicki and I and our two youngest children, one was in uh, grade school and the other was in junior high. Two oldest children were in college. We uh, went for some orientation training in Richmond, Virginia, spent about six weeks there. We missed the entire First Persian Gulf War uh, back in, in 1991. We missed the entire thing. The day we got to, uh, to the training center, they came and said, we're bombing Baghdad. And the war went on, and by the time we finished in March and got out of there in April, it was already over with. And so then we left that time of orientation. We went to Costa Rica, got involved in, in ministry there in Costa Rica. But our purpose in being in Costa Rica was to learn the Spanish language. We were, we were going to serve God for the rest of our days as missionaries. And so after we finished our, orienta- or our, our orientation and our language training, we went to the Yucatan Peninsula in Old Mexico. And uh, from those of you that have ever been to the Maya Riviera and you know about Cancun and Cozumel and the beautiful side, uh, you know that emerald, that pearl, that, that beautiful part of, of the country of Mexico, that's not where we were. Uh, we were on the other side, the armpit side of the Yucatan Peninsula in the state of Campeche. And it was a difficult ministry. It was, it was hard and it was challenging but, uh, but the Lord put us where he wanted us. And so I'll never forget the first time that we loaded up our car. I had flown in and out of Mexico City for, for business meetings with our mission board. And, and uh, I had actually even ridden a bus into Mexico City a couple of times. But I'll never forget the first time that we rode in a car and we drove into Mexico City. We had, uh, we had gotten through the outside. 24 million people call that home. And, uh, and so we, we were sitting right outside of the airport, stopped at a stoplight, waiting for the light to turn green, and all of a sudden, something knocking on my window. So I turned and looked, and all I could see was a badge and a uniform, and I looked up, and there was a cop standing knocking on my window, So having a son that was a police officer and having a father that taught me to respect authority, I rolled down my windows and he says, I want to see your papers. And so I got my registration my insurance card. I got the, the visa permission saying that we had permission to be in the country. Gave him my driver's license. I handed it all to him. He stood there and looked at it and he said, you're in violation of our law. You're going to jail. And I said, oh, you know, I started to use English. I tried to use what little Spanish I had. I'd only been on the mission field a short period of time. And so he began to get frustrated, and he was wanting me to pay him a bribe. And, and I, I was real hesitant because I, I didn't think Scripture taught that that was the way you deal with authorities. Now, something happened uh, with that policeman and policeman that I came in contact with on a later date. I stopped looking at policemen in Mexico as being law and order and being a reputable, uh, honorable men, And I started looking at them as being tax collectors. Tax collectors, that's what they were doing. Very much like the, the tax collectors of the New Testament. Very much like the tax collectors of, of Jesus' day. They got their job because they paid somebody a franchise fee. Now, you can call it a bribe if you want it. But Rome said, you can set up and you can, you can charge a tax for, for the fish that are coming out of the, of the Sea of Galilee. You can sit here on these crossroads where trails and paths and, and, and uh, major thoroughfares. People that were going from Asia to Africa from Africa to Europe, had to go through this part of the, of the world, and they had to pass by, Capernaum, they had to pass by Levi's tax collection booth. So I stopped looking at, uh, at policemen as, as, as law enforcement, and I started looking at them as tax collectors, as part of the life to be endured. The Telonists, the publicans, were, were classed among uh, the lowest of lowlifes, Uh, They were paid a commission. They were representative of either uh, a corrupt king or they were paid a commission from the Roman government. Matthew was a tax collector. He was an employed uh, person of the Roman government. They were the lowest of low life. They were numbered among prostitutes and thieves and other despicable uh, undesirables. Uh, they were no more popular than the leper that Jesus had just healed uh, in the previous chapter that we're reading here today. Many publicans were crooks. Luke, 9, or Luke 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3 tells us that the tax collectors were guilty of collecting more taxes than what they were due. Presumably they kept the excess for their own As long as they would pay the Romans or the the king, uh, they got to keep whatever was left over. The Roman authorities protected them. uh, As long as they were were paying the Romans, was paying Rome what was due them. The rabbis held out no hope for these people whatsoever. They were were looked down upon. They were scorned. They were excluded from worship services, from religious services. They were excluded. Now, I want to pause for a moment because I'm going to, I'm going to, to make an interjection here. Uh, this, this cannot be supported by, by Scripture, but I think it's something to think about. Uh, we have a man that, uh, that we refer to as Matthew, but clearly his name was Levi before he came in contact with Jesus. Now, if you'll think about it, Levi was a pretty popular name. truth of the matter is it was, it was, uh, it was not just his last name. It identified the tribe from which he had come. Someplace in Levi's past, he was a part of the, of the third son born to, uh, to, to Jacob and Leah. And this individual, the scripture says that he was, the, that he was of the, his ancestors, were the Levites. And the Levites were charged by God with the responsibility of, of the worship of, of what was going on in the temple They were the the ones, Aaron was a priest. They were the people that were responsible for everything good and everything that was going on in in the temple. And yet you find a man who had come from a heritage where his ancestors had, had been responsible for sacrifices and had been responsible for making sure that everything was done according to God's plan and now you find a man who was excluded and was not even permitted to go to the synagogue, was not even allowed to bring sacrifices to the temple, how far Levi had fallen. Matthew, after, after Jesus got a hold of him, changed his name to Matthew. Levi had come from, from a family of ministry and found himself now excluded Publicans were not accepted in, in proper society. They weren't even considered to be truthful enough. They were so dishonest that they weren't even allowed to testify in court. If the only witness to a crime that had been committed against you was a publican, was a a, telonis, was, a was a tax collector, you had to go out and find another witness because that witness would not be allowed to testify in court because they were so dishonest. There were very few, if any, honest publicans. What happened when, when Jesus got a hold of Zacchaeus? You know, the wee little man that climbed up in the tree. And Jesus said, come down, Zacchaeus. Because of today, salvation has come to your house. What did Zacchaeus do? The first thing he did was make restitution. He was willing to pay back because he acknowledged what I have done, my sinful lifestyle. I have taken when I should not have and so he made restitution there's nothing in scripture that says that Matthew made restitution could it be could it be that he was an honest tax collector I don't know I don't know Jesus knew Levi's heart and he was able to see potential in him certainly he did not call him because of his righteousness called him to leave everything that's what it says in Luke chapter 5 verse 28 when it talks about uh, Levi leaving his his tax collector's booth it says he left it he left his occupation he left his sort of uh, his source of support he left everything Luke says whatever we may have said about Matthew Jesus saw in him something that uh, was powerful something that would be entrusted upon him to be able to, to connect uh, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. If you were to begin reading with the book of Mark or the book of Romans or First or Thessalonians, you would say, whoa, how do we get from here to there? But if you'll take time to read through the book of Matthew, Matthew clearly indicates that which was going on then, that which God did and that which God promised Jesus fulfills. So if we're going to see things as God sees things, we also need to take a look at how Matthew responded. And I think ultimately we have to take a look at how we respond. Jesus said to Matthew, come follow me. And he did. We can stop right there. Close the book and go home. Jesus said to Matthew, I choose you. Come follow me. And Matthew did it. Levi immediately responded by opening his home to a bunch of people just like him. A bunch of unlikely prospects. They wouldn't be the kind of kind of folks that would be high on your list of people to visit uh, as, as prospects for your, for your church. Matthew opened his home to the point that the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders said, Look what Jesus is doing. Look what he's surrounding himself by. Mark goes on and says for many of these drunkards, many of these prostitutes, many of these tax collectors, many of these sinners, many of these people came to Matthew's home and were there at that banquet. And Mark records many of them were following Jesus. Many of them were following him. Jesus did not write off Levi Because of his occupation, he didn't write him off because of his past. He didn't write him off. He invited him in. There were other sinners, no doubt there. There were robbers and prostitutes and drunkards. In Luke, he says that it was a great group, a big group, a great banquet to the point that they couldn't all get into the house. They were spilling over out into the streets. The Pharisees saw him eating with these sinners and the publicans. They began to ask questions and I just want to pause for a moment and say, you know, uh, sometimes we, we find that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And sometimes we find that there are things that are going on in our world like tsunamis and earthquakes and, and things are happening that we have no control over and we wonder why. The problem is we might even go to God in prayer and say, why But then we stop and we settle for a cheap answer. We settle for an easy answer. I don't know how many times I have people that will call me and say, I I need some counseling. Can I come in? Uh, My marriage is an absolute shambles. My child is rebellious and and we don't even know where he or she is. Can you just give me just a few morsels, just a few words? Can you give me a scripture or two that will make it all okay? Can you just give me a little hope that all of this will go away? And the only hope that I have to offer is that which Scripture has to offer. And it says that as God is holy, we are to be holy. And it says that when we sin, that God provides for us a way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be redeemed, for us to, fo- to follow Him and to accept Him. As God sees, Jesus heard these people's questions. He says, you're right. You're absolutely right. This is a motley crew. This is a a rough bunch of people. Now, Jesus didn't participate in their sin. He didn't buy into their philosophy, their theology, or any of the things that they, they thought. But he was there, and he was fellowshipping with them, and he was reaching them. The final thing that I think we need to consider besides how we respond is how others are going to react No doubt as these people accused Jesus and said, what are you doing? Jesus says, you're absolutely right. These people are sick. And I'm the good physician. I'm the cure. I'm what they need. I didn't come to call and to hold the hands and to play with the self-righteous. I came to reach sinners. And that's what Jesus was doing in Matthew and in the other tax collectors. Jesus' response is right they're sick and they need a physician. And that's who I am. Jesus says, you go out and learn from this. Then he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He says, I don't want sacrifices. I don't want religiosity. I don't want all that you are claiming and that you're holding to your self-righteous bunch of, of, of vipers. You have no need of me because I come to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me give you some applications to take home with you. I'm sorry, but our time's up and I'm going to blow through these rather rapidly. We do make these available over on the information table if you hear anything you think might be worthwhile. Well, what is it that, we, that we've learned uh, about Jesus, who is the servant of God, the Son of God, God in the flesh? What have we learned from his encounter with Matthew? Well, if we've learned that if we're going to see things as God sees, if we're going to see things as Jesus sees... He's not going to change. The same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Jesus is not going to change. If something's going to change, it's going to have to begin with us. We've learned that uh, Jesus sees opportunity in every situation, in every circumstance. Nothing is so far, nothing is so deep, nothing is so high that Jesus can't use it. He was not going to be compelled or was going to be bound by his circumstances or situations We see that uh, there is purpose and potential in every person. Matthew would not have been a first-round draft pick. But look what a person he wound up being. We see that uh, Jesus places the needs of people like Matthew, sinners, prostitutes. He places their needs even above his own comfort, his own convenience and safety. And finally... I believe the most important thing that we need to take home from this today is that Jesus expects a personal response every time he says the words, come, follow me. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as you called the fishermen to leave their nets, to leave their families, as you called Levi and changed his name to Matthew, as you approached Paul on the road to Damascus. Heavenly Father, as you have reached out to them and you have said those words, come, follow me. Help each of us to close our eyes and to open our hearts and to ask the question, what would you have me to do to this day, Lord? Where would you have me to go? What would you have me to stop doing? What would you have me to walk away from and to give up? Heavenly Father, I guess it would have been possible for fishermen to go back to their nets. We see that they even did go back to their nets. But Lord, there's no way that Levi, Matthew, could go back to being a tax collector. Lord, I pray that none of us today will try you like a fad, try you like like an easy answer, but that we will totally place our trust in you, And that when we stand to follow you, that we will forsake and that we will leave everything. Help us, Father, that we will make you the Lord of our life and not just the Savior. Thank you that you are the Lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. But thank you that you take the broken pieces of our lives. Thank you, Father, that there's not one boy, girl, man, woman, not one person visiting, not one leader of this church, not one pastor, missionary, or president that is so far from you, that if they'll cry out to you with all of their heart, and if they will draw nigh to you, you promise us that you will draw nigh to us. Heavenly Father, if we will leave our nets and leave our, our, our past and our circumstances and follow you, Father, you promise us we will never be disappointed. So as we come to this time of closure, Heavenly Father, may we hear those words of Jesus come, follow me. May we respond like Levi did. May we leave and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.